Hello, my name is Aoife Smith, and I will be having a conversation with Lex Z for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 17th, 2019, and this is being recorded in downtown Manhattan. Hi. Hi. Um... Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much for being here. It's great. Um, did you end up coming to New York to live here? Um, I moved here when I was 18. Um, I got a scholarship when I was in high school to go to school here. And um, I stayed here for about five years. And then I lived in Oakland for three years, and then I just moved back, actually, in December. Um, yeah. Well, were there any, like, cool communities, organizations that you're involved with, Julie, like, in your, like, first five years in New York? Oh, my God. Wow. Um, I really, I was always really excited by, like, everything that was happening at Blue Stocking. <laughs> that was a very, like, important place for me. Um, and that's where I learned about, like, letter writing and black and pink. Um, also like DIY spaces like the silent barn um and taking like workshops there and I remember I did like a hacking workshop that was really amazing um shows and like seeing queer performers and queer bands um that was like a really important um place for me when I was there you're in a band right yeah I am in a band um, I'm in a band called Telepathic Children. We're like a devastating gay disco punk band. Um, we formed in Oakland, California after Pride 2018. Um, we just recorded our first album called FTP Gay. Um, <laughs> and um, just had our first music video. And yeah, it's really funny. We had like our first band practice last year. And, it was, and then we went to like a trans play party after. And we were just like in the post-Pride, like, desperate momentum for creativity, and we were, like, flirting with everyone by, like, just talking about, like, our one song that we just wrote, like, an hour before the trans play party in San Francisco. Yeah. That's so fun. How did you end up moving to, or why did you move to Oakland? Um, it's kind of like a wild journey. Um, after <laughs> I finished my undergrad, I actually went pretty straight into grad school, and I got into a PhD program in Providence between Brown and RISD, and then I dropped out after a year. And then I still like proposed a, like a project to do over the summer in Berlin. And so I went to Berlin for the summer, and I came back, and I got like kind of like low key kicked out. But and then so <laughs> I like came back to New York for a little bit, and um, and then there was like a lot going on, like for me personally at the time, and then. Um, I just needed a break and I went out to Oakland for like just like three months and then I ended up staying for three years. I started working, I, w I was working in education in New York and then when I moved to Oakland I started working full-time as like a high school teacher in Oakland public schools and so um, once I started working in the school that I was working at there I just felt very invested and dedicated to the community and um staying there so and yeah <laughs> cool um do you want to maybe talk about 
you know, like what it was like working as a high school teacher and also you, I think you said something about doing like activism like related to student representation and stuff like that oh yeah totally so there's actually a lot happening right now around like the oakland public school system and teachers unions a lot of that is kind of centered around uh teacher capacity and that reflects actually a lot of the pressures that are coming from like the state and legal systems around like documenting and supporting students with individualized education plans which basically says that a student has like a particular need um and has um a lot of it's it's an extremely like elaborate legal process to make sure that the student is receiving all the accommodations that they need so they're getting like an equitable form of learning. Um, and then so like as a high school teacher when you're or a middle school teacher and you have a class of like 30 kids and say like some of my classes like 20 students had like accommodations and that meant like tw- that meant in my lesson plans I had to like submit something that like was accommodating all the students and also had particular accommodations that were specific to each child and that 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 was being documented. Um, So a lot of the work that I was really interested in is like um, investing, I was an art teacher, so like investing in like um, my own like development and creating like art plans and like um, participating in the education system. So that way like students that had like a wide spectrum and an expansive spectrum of like creativity and needs to support their learning that I was meeting all of that. Um, so I did a lot of work um, there and like a lot, there's also a lot of um, disability justice representation in Oakland and so it felt very expansive to like collaborate with people that were in education and also people that were looking at other types of like public spaces. Um, so I was definitely interested in that. Also, the school that I worked at, um, I don't remember the exact percentage, but there were a large amount of students that were undocumented, and so there was a lot of support um, for immigration rights and also protection and workshops against ICE, and like also the school was considered like a safe site, and so there are many times that like I would say after work to like facilitate workshops and meetings or um, like do. Uh, like community like support and outreach and there were also just like multiple times that I just actually had to like do things like for families that were like facing um, court and like threats to deportation so there was like a lot of like different um, like legal actions that I had to do to um, ensure that the students would stay in school it's just it's all there's like yeah yeah sounds like a lot I feel really grateful. Everyone's amazing that was there at the school, and I love working in Oakland. Um, yeah. How did? Um, what do I ask next? Um, what about like the queer trans scene in Oakland? I know you talked about a little bit about that yesterday, and it sounded really awesome. Oh my God! Wow. Um, where to even begin <laughs> with my like <laughs> overflowing love and appreciation for the collaboration and collectivity that takes place there? Um, I actually ended up staying in Oakland because I started living in like a queer collective house and building like a living space together that was like deeply invested in queer and trans, um, like opulent living, like just living together and creating meals and coming up with creative projects and listening to each other and like anything from like dating to like what meeting they're going to for organizing or it was just there was a lot of living on like anarchist principles that was like really inspiring to me so like having that interpersonally like allowed me I think to really expand that and like 
cultivate that care in a very in a much wider sense um I'm honestly like always in awe of how Oakland like holds um holds the community so strongly and communicates like what people need and show up for each other and um like I have friends where it's just like we'll go to protests and we'll like bike together and we'll check in on everyone and like there's just so much like community and care and then it's also a place where I think I found a lot of like my creativity and um, relationship to kink because there's a lot of um, experimentation and it's really amazing like you can go to queer parties in the bay area and it's like all queer people like i feel like in new york that doesn't exist to the same extent like you can literally go to a party and it would just be queer people and i think that that um is what creates like these possibilities for like dynamic sociality and like new forms of eroticism so it's like definitely where i like started experimenting with like my own like non-binary forms of like desire and kink and fetish and also where i started like designing like leather and vinyl fetish wear and um, getting interested in like deepening that practice so it was like accessible for all bodies, genders, um, abilities, and making sure that my practice reflected that. Um, also, music, performance. I was in an incredible performance collaboration with uh, Kat Mahata, and we did contortion, electronic music, and dance, and it was all about creating a space where it was like liberatory for queer opulence and. Um, queers could live in like exaltation and exuberance and um, and I feel like all of the queer art that is produced in Oakland is like about creating spaces like for cutie pock for um, for people of all abilities for making sure that people are included and people are like able to somewhat survive on their creation and participation in the community it's incredible that sounds awesome um yeah uh, could you say more on like kink and like you talking about like public sex and stuff like that yesterday oh okay so <laughs> um i definitely have a lot of exhibitionist tendencies um i want to frame this and that i deeply deeply thank the people that make sure that there are queer anarchist spaces for um for the community and for gathering, like the U-Haul party that happens every year at Pride is the result of an enormous like and de like dedication from the community like every single year. Um, and I want to say their names, but I'm, I'm not sure whether or not I should on this recording. But um, there are many people to thank, and come find me if you <laughs> want to talk more about that. Um, but there's um this u-haul party that happens every year at pride where the u-haul is parked on the edge of dolores and then um one of there's always like queer djs and bands and one of the things that happens every year is like there's public sex on top of the u-haul and i feel like that happens in this way that is like it's so fuck you to like policing and surveillance and it reroutes like the architecture of the space and like takes something corporate like pride and makes it into this like temporary autonomous zone of like queer exuberance and desire and pleasure um and it's um 
I'm like deeply interested in public sex in both like the queer community context where it's like what a gift it is to like have public sex and be in a queer space and also like rerouting places that are actually are sometimes risky or like the risk for pleasure is high and it's and like thinking through like how to hack into the city or the planet in a way that can like can create pleasure in that space um yeah i love exhibitionism Sex. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, can I ask about like your fetish wear stuff and like, the work you do about? Yeah, sure. So um, for the past, actually, my first time ever selling like harnesses was at QTZ Fest in Providence, Rhode Island, like three years ago, and that was like the first time I started making like harnesses, and they were actually like I feel so bad. They were like not even like pullable. Like you couldn't even like really really use them like they were just like they were like I was still developing construction techniques and I spent like the year after that like thinking through like what are the limits of the body and what can I construct that explores that limit like where the body begins and ends and so all my construction has like greatly developed to be something that is like strong and like engages with the dynamics either between someone like fucking themselves or maybe like intimately like moving but with a another person or group of people um and so i what i'm working on really right now is creating um now that i have a lot of like the strength techniques creating leather and vinyl wear that is like not only custom but maybe even adjustable and or definitely adjustable definitely like expansive so it's like fits the full spectrum the expansive spectrum of like sizes genders and abilities and as being someone that is non-binary um i think what's missing a lot from and i work in latex too especially latex and in leather is that there is this there is still like an intense gender binary in these products um, or in this wear. And so I try to think expansively in that direction. And I think what's really amazing about it right now is that there is such an incredible community of leather workers, such an incredible community of like kink and fetish artists and participation that it, a lot of conversation happens on like Instagram. So like people can like in real time talk about what they need or what they see and they want to change or what they like about something or what like makes them feel powerful. And I think that having um, actually access to that type of like um, very like vast network of people across many different places or um, like across media, like we can like share techniques and like share how we make things like more and more inclusive and more and more expensive. Are there any like physical spaces like that around here in New York or? Ooh, um, to be honest, I don't know as much for New York. Um, in Oakland, I feel like I could go to like any leather store or there was a lot of basically I'm speaking a lot from my Oakland experience there was so much like DIY vending um where we could like talk my friend Maya Songbird she had this choker fest and everyone that did like leather and vinyl like came and we just like talked all day in this like DIY space in Oakland about like how to make 
this type of thing or do this type of leather technique or this type of construction technique and that was really cool and I feel like the DIY vending is like definitely a space where people can like get together and talk about what they make and why um there was like an all genders clothing swap and the person that organized it had a bunch of leather workers like bring their work um and that was also amazing because then people would swap clothes and this and I love being like adjacent to like anti-capitalist like forms of exchange like that um because I like leather is just such an expensive material that like think like thinking through like cost of labor cost of materials and like how to create something that's sustainable and accessible for everyone and create something that's like sliding scale um like having conversations with people and being in spaces that are invested in like queers and trans people and not like burners or not like just ravers you know it's like mm-hmm. it's like thinking about like what are the where, where is the body what is pleasurable and what does it feel like and how is this accessible like it's not an aesthetic it's like it's it's a practice and it's a way of expressing desire in life That's rad. um what brought you what, what brought you back to new york um I actually was going to uh, deepen my practice in leatherwear and latex um, in a program, and then I ended up having to defer the program, and I probably won't be able to do it. Um, so now I get to really enjoy like this new crystallization of my work and practice and I go between the Bay and New York actually quite a lot because I still have practices in both places so kind of doing a little bit of the I want to say bicoastal is glamorous but I'm really <laughs> so <laughs> but I'm trying to to balance all those projects at once um about punk punk um I think Okay, so I've always been really inspired by punk music and hearing about queer bands and tour, and I feel like one of the things that I really am inspired about and seeing friends and community and collaboration is this like deep and community engagement and participation around teaching yourself new skills and sharing skills and making it so um, there's like new processes and people are supported in that. I think a lot of times, like, there is this, like, capitalist track of, like, where did you go to school? What did you major in? What are you doing with your degree now? Like, what are, like, the emphasis on just, like, the job and this, like, formalized training that we are constantly exposed to um, and hierarchized by is, like, toxic. And I think um, all of the learning and unlearning that I, that feels important to me happened in DIY and punk spaces. And um, I'm really grateful for that and um, try to participate and bring as much of collaboration that I possibly can to these spaces. Um, my band recently went on tour in March, and so I was really excited to like go through um, the West Coast. And we went in like a camper, which was really fun, <laughs> and met a bunch of other bands and just like learned a lot about like other cities, how they book shows, what their queer communities look like, how they show up for each other. Um, and I think that that's kind of the amazing thing that the punk circuit is having this like intense, vast network of like people who are interested in participating in community and politics in this way and like keeping in touch and making sure that like 
like queer and trans like opulence and resistance like is as expansive as wide as possible constantly how have you found the punk scene in new york since you came back oh my god amazing um yeah i'm always always learning more about it um i think what's really amazing about new york is that there's I'm currently reading Time is the Thing a Body Moves Through. And I've also um, been reading actually like a lot of just, I think what's holding, like something I keep thinking about in this book is like how New York is a place that people talk about what it was and they can configure who they want to be through learning about that past. And so I think learning about like the history of punk in New York and the history of DIY in New York and like witnessing part of it, like Silent Barn has like closed down and like I feel so lucky that I got to witness it before in the like real estate capitalist empire uh, shut it down. But um, I think that like I get to, every time I learn about new bands and like meet new queers that are doing music or art or like resistance or organizing that um i get to learn more about like the ways that i participate and the ways that like i want to continue to show up and the skills that i want to sharpen in order to do that as incisively as possible um are there any specific places you like to go or hang out that are in those type of spaces places i like to hang out in new york i go to happy fun hideaway a lot um and I'm a big fan of nightlife and gay bars. Um, I've always been attached to this idea of infinite night because I think like night is when like pleasure and collectivity uh, get to like fully like aggregate and blossom and it's just like this incredible like geyser of activity and um, like, I even think about when my band first debuted, Telepathic Children, we threw this, like, rave that was, like, a fashion show. It had, like, a catwalk. It had, like, electronic musicians that never performed before. And part of it was just, like, this newness of, like, us debuting, the, our friends doing things that were new, and just being very there for each other. And this, like, intense feeling of party came from the momentum of everyone, like, more, even more sincerely, like, being who they are and expressing that. And I think that nightlife and especially here in New York where there's such a beautiful history of revolution and resistance that I think about often I'm sure everyone's thinking about right now with the 50th anniversary of Stonewall um that I'm constantly drawn to like the gay bar and the gay <laughs> club and the performances and poetry readings and non-binary fashion shows all of that mm -hmm. How do you find the environment in like gay bars? Because I know that they can be interesting points. Mm. Um, in New York, I there's like queer yoki at the Metro, and I have to say there's some of the most like incredible talent I've ever seen, and I'm like constantly awestruck when I go there. Um, I go see a lot of like drag I'm especially drawn to non-binary drag um I don't like when straight people are in gay bars <laughs> and I have to agree <laughs> yeah um, 
so when that happens, I'm always like, I get a little riled up, but um, there's like one gay bar in the Bay Area called The Stud that is like literally queer utopia. Like during Pride, we had like a mischievous gay booth of just like impact play and talking about kinks we were into and it was like one of those things where everyone was just like somehow connected to everyone even though we didn't really not everyone knew each other and we were like just all threaded by this like deep like just care and community and moving through like kinks and impact and talking about what we'd like to do with our time. It was just really, and that can happen at like places like the stuff where they're like very queer centered and it's also a co-op, yeah. Co-ops. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to ask, are you teaching in New York? Are you planning on doing so? Yeah, right now I'm an assistant educator at Socrates Sculpture Park, so I teach, um, across six different high schools in Long Island City, both in school and at the park at Socrates Sculpture Park. And we just did a bunch of inflatable sculptures <laughs> that were just like these wildly massive inflatables like to the park. And part of, honestly, I carry the gay bar with me whenever I, do t whenever I teach because I just think of like performance and exuberance and the students always make costumes at the sock at our I teach with another amazing artist. Um, and we always like facilitate these like performances and costume making and interaction with the sculpture that is like very alive and I think a lot of like the gay bar actually in that. And when I taught middle school and in high school in California, I definitely was like the this is a gay bar <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> so when you're like being an educator, are you or have you been like openly out as non-binary and trans to like the students that you are working with? So in Oakland, I ran the GSA, um, which is really funny because when it started, there was like a couple like parent phone calls that were like. Um, oh, um, we don't want our, like, we don't want our kids, like, all hanging out together in a gay club. And so it actually got shut down, and then the principal was like, okay, like, months later, was like, you can start it back up again, but you have to let the kids choose the name, it can't be called the GSA. And then so the kids renamed it TTR, Taste the Rainbow, which is even gayer than gay. Um, so I was like facilitating TTR and in that that was a space where I talked a lot about um, being non-binary and also I'm always in the process of my own transness and my own like non-binary gender and constantly expanding that um, and I love the change I love relating to people in new ways and I'm like and that's what I tell my students too is that there isn't this fixed point in being non-binary or trans that you're trying to get to. Some people it's true, but some people it's not. That's just not a fixed point. I feel that way for myself. And um, 
and that process of relation and change to other people and like connecting to people over the ways that like we're engaging with the process of our bodies and gender is like an important part so I talked a lot about that with the students that were in the club it's kind of funny though because like I feel like with some of the middle school students there was like one kid I remember one day that like literally put a placard on his desk that was like it was like after the meme he was like there are two genders change my mind and I was like oh honey like <laughs> we're gonna have to like and he I was like come to a GSA meeting and and like asked the other students if it'd be okay if he joined to like talk to him about um like so he could talk with his peers about being non-binary and and trans because apparently he <laughs> felt away and I just like this is you can start unlearning now thanks <laughs> yeah so how are your general interactions or specific interactions as like a trans edu- educator with students and also like your coworkers? Because I know those can offer often differ a huge amount. Um, I honestly think that like with my coworkers there are some there are some that I'm like I can be as open with as possible. Like there's like one day I literally went to Aunt Charlie's and went to a drag performance and then the next day like my well my windows got smashed and I drove to work and I was like, Oh my god and I can like tell my coworkers like this is like my life And then there are other people where I'm just like they are like talking about their babies and breeding and dogs and I'm just like I just like there's certain ways that I need to that I think about my energy and how I want to like best communicate um and use my energy in that way and there's just like some coworkers where I'm just like it's actually like it's you're not gonna see me for me and I don't need to spend my energy on this I'd rather spend my energy like especially in working in school where there's like actually like hundreds of people that need your energy like it's just not worth like sitting with my coworker and continuing to explain like they then pronounce like I'm just like I know I'm done I can just like reroute my energy um so it it's like it's draining sometimes because you're like oh I just like what would make me feel recognized for my work is like you just saying my pronouns and like not constantly calling me miss or whatever but there's like also um there's also this like again this like opulence and exuberance that exists when like a collective of students or like coworkers or um, just like really intimately meet together to like talk about unraveling it in a bigger way and that collaboration is everything um, you just said that you know with people calling you miss what do you have like your students call you that's something I've like thought about for like you know gender neutral like I'm like I don't know maybe I'll just get a doctorate and then people have to call me doctor that's gender neutral that's really funny I mean there were definitely kids that like I think education socializes kids to like see non-binary, to see very binary genders and Mr. and Miss people. So they were like definitely students that like see me and just like call me Miss. Um, a lot of my students have called me Zach because um, my like full last name government is Zacharoff. And so that gets printed on all their schedules no matter what I say or do. Um, and then so they all call me like Zach. Which is really funny because no one else calls me back but the middle school and high school students, which is really funny. Um, now at Socrates, they all call me Licks. And it's much easier, like outside of a school system. And like, I don't work full time in any of the schools I teach. So it's like much easier to be like, to come in and be like, I'm Licks and this is what I'm being called. And like, no, there's no like 
network of principals and parents and other coworkers that are all like looking at some government document with my legal name on it and asserting that that's what I need to be called, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's good relief. Um, you also said you were a writer. Oh, yeah. So right now I'm working on a non-binary sci-fi smut core novel. Um, the premise is that there's a character named M, and it's, like, set vaguely in the future post-capitalism, but it's, like, also kind of weirdly nostalgic for capitalism. Like, one of the parts is, like, in this, like, abandoned mall, and then there's, like, other parts in, like, underground, like, clubs, and it's... Um, the premise is that M is able in this future to download activations for their body in very quick and satisfying ways. So in thinking about like, oh, they want like their clavicle extended or a second row of teeth and just like thinking about modifications of the body that aren't necessarily always attached to like our thinking of gender, but like enact the gender that like non-binary I'm reflecting on myself kind of envision um and so Emma's able to like download these activations in their body like extend their fingers two inches whatever they want um and then whenever they do this activation part of they lose like a memory attached to their body so the book kind of like navigates like if you could modify your body at any point what would happen and also what memories are attached to the body how does the body hold memory um, these are like two things that I think about a lot um, in my non-binary identity and over the course of the book M starts to meet this analog this like kind of like hologram that actually holds all their memories that they're losing in their activations and it becomes this like erotic encounter that moves from like their community and friends and also with this analog this like version of them and their memories and it talks about like how um, like also like memory and desire intertwine and it's like a lusty smutty but also like celebration of like I don't know fucking yourself <laughs> and like fucking like who you are in all of your iterations um, and so it's, it's a really fun novel to write it's slow though <laughs> very inspired by a lot of like queer fiction like Sketch to See by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore and Politics the form of a mortal girl, Andrea Lawler. Um, and so I'm definitely holding that inspiration with me as I'm reading. Awesome. Um, can I ask about your own experiences with like body modification and stuff like that? Um, I think I so a lot of my own body modification, I've been like completely invested for a long time in doing that through kink, through masturbation, through um videoing myself fucking myself through um expressing like fetishes i remember like there was like a time like even like five years ago where i was like cruising like online dating um in this way that was like not necessarily for us we just to, like learn about like fetishes and kinks and to like explore them with other people and i was just like completely connected to like remapping my sensorial index there was a lot of time where i felt like i had literally no control over the way that like people read me or i felt I could present or the way that I could modify my body like just due to like access to like healthcare and funds and so I was like if okay if I can't do this necessarily all the time like visually for myself or the way that I like physically am then the way that I can do that is 
like this like surgical sensorial index where I can like constantly hack into like the way that I perceive and feel like my own self sexually to myself and the way that I relate to others that is like more caring, more intimate, more expansive. And, um, and a lot of that does like include like relationships to like pain or relationships to like power dynamics or to like feelings of like stillness or movement. Um, but that's also like where to go back to public sex, like that is huge for me because it's like, it is like hacking into the architectures. It is like breaking out of the private space and like thinking through like, how does everything relate to like queer, like resistance, opulence and pleasure constantly. <laughs> um, thinking about like public sex and um, mm-hmm. like, are you part of any, I don't know if I have this already, God. are you part of any anarchist groups or organizations in the city? Um, in New York, I feel like I'm slowly becoming more and more involved. Um, I feel like a lot of my involvement is in like based in Oakland and expansive across the United States. Um, and so, um, yeah, always looking for ways to continue to participate and help out in organizations. Um. Looping back to writing, you said you did journalism. Mm. How was that? <laughs> um, I feel like I haven't necessarily developed like a large array of journalism to even talk about it. It's like a very, it's like a very baby moment. <laughs> um, and now, actually, I'm looking more to write like articles, and and I think the way that I think about writing and journalism now is like with the closure of DIY spaces and DIY venues um, and how do we continue to share skills with each other how do we like hold history of stories that often aren't told in mainstream media Um, how do we like exalt our community of artists and pop stars and bands that we love and so um when I think about like the pitches that I do now for journalism a lot of them are centered actually on interviews and archival projects um and ways of amplifying the voices of all the incredible people that I have the the deep fortune of knowing and collaborating and working with um so that's kind of what I think about journalism now. Otherwise, I'm just kind of, I think when I was like 18, I was like not really sure of the direction that I was interested in at that time. Yeah. What kind of archival projects are you doing? Um, right now I'm learning a lot about, I think, other archival projects. Um, I have experienced doing some like archival projects when I was like in Berlin, like going to zine libraries, and I was really interested in surveillance culture that summer, and so I was like, reading a lot about like just kind of ways that like the surveillance culture in the United States was like prefigured by a lot of like fascist surveillance, and so I was like kind of trying to unravel like what that looked like in Berlin and trying to understand like DIY underground punk like anti-fascist movements. Um, especially for queer and trans people and so spending a lot of time in like zine libraries and I think that like zine libraries and oh my god there are people who just have like zine archives in their own houses and I always like go through those and so self-publication is kind of like what I'm most interested in researching um 
but as of right now, I can't say that I necessarily have like a very, like a full speed ahead type project. I'm more, um, more doing some of the like pleasure research and have also the pleasure witness to like talk with you and also some other friends like incredible archival projects that I'm really excited about. Are there any specific archives or collections that you're looking at? Um, friends' houses, um, and yeah, there's in Oakland. There's a lot of really incredible libraries that commemorate and hold memory for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know to follow from Berlin. Um, is there like a good queer trans scene there when you were there? I know you were only there for like a summer, but. Um, yeah, there really was. I would say probably, I mean, it may be different since I was there. I did really feel like it was, there weren't as many trans people in gay, like, in queer spaces, um, when I was there. I kept kind of, like, looking for that, and I didn't necessarily feel like I saw that a lot of the time. Um, but there definitely was, like, a very vibrant, like, queer community, and I think what's, like, very special about Berlin and again, I'm speaking from like years ago, um, was that they had this feeling of like people were like passing through in a very like committed and engaged way. And there was also like the na- like the neighborhoods are so community focused. Like there were like protests, like if like a grocery store that was owned by a family that lived there was closing down. And they'd be like, no, like you can't close down like a grocery store. It's literally been here and these people live here. And like for neighborhoods and cities to be so focused on protecting who lives there so with like such like steadfast commitment to me was like very awe-inspiring. And so queer community was very inspiring there and also just the like dedication to neighborhoods. And like when I was living in New York at the time, I just like never saw anything like that in a place that is like so rapidly gentrified constantly. Um, talking about like pride a bit, I know since much has happened, you're in California, right, right? This year, yeah, yes. actually for like the past four years, yeah, I've How been at Bay Area Pride. It literally gets better every year. <laughs> um, I, um, Telepathic Children played an amazing show this year at like this, like, I keep calling it an anarchist poppers party because the flyer had like three poppers with like the three antifa eras down to the left and um it was a free pride party and it was like a diy kind of like punk show and that was that was so fun just to have like a band that formed like post pride last year to play the show at pride this year and like just get to like witness each other being literally incredible like my families are incredible um and I'd already talked about the stud and the desire and the mischief. Um, the U-Haul party actually got shut down this year because the cops came up and were like, oh my God, if you set up these speakers, everyone will get arrested. So someone actually went to the garage and of like a house on Dolores Park and asked if you use the garage and the person said yes. And so um, everyone DJed and bands played and people gathered outside this garage on the sidewalk. Um, and I just thought about like how amazing it was that 
people were there to like protect each other, even though they're like literally risking a lot to like just play in a garage after the cops threatened to shut down the the party just hours before. Um, and the cops ended up shutting down that party later that day. And it was the police presence was actually deeply disturbing and like really fucked up. Um, and Pride Zero was horrific. Um, cops out of Pride, and but otherwise the the like the idea of like the temporary autonomous zone like the queer anarchy the the party the infinite night is like very much like part of bay area pride and why i love it so much um yeah there was like a little two years ago cat and i performed like on a gay yacht and like cruise in san francisco and i was like contorting in like a mesh pocket and that's actually the first time that we started collaborating with that was our first show was on this yacht and um so it's like another project actually that like formed out of pride there's just a it's a very exuberant is Kat one of your friends yeah Kat Mahata is their music project and and then um and they do this like him to do which is like a major like fuck you to um to the patriarchy to white supremacy um and they just did an amazing music video for it which i'm um i recommend <laughs> deeply and um is another cancer suddenly arising and has some of the most like beautiful electronic music and has also just taught me a lot about like the subtleties and intimacies of friendship and how that like crystallizes and flowers around like creating spaces for queer and collective resistance. Um, how is your relationship with like police and cops being, because I know that's usually not great. So, oh, FTP yeah. cap forever. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, have you had any interactions or anything that stand out that you'd want to like, share? Um, to be honest, I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing that in this interview space. But totally fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also wanted to act, uh, Jesus, ask about your activism, like in New York and in Oakland, just like overall, like what you're currently working on or interested in. I mean, <laughs> prison <laughs> abolition <laughs> um, and ways that I can develop that, anything against police violence um, and the way that police continue to mass murder um, people of color in the United States, um, organizing around that um, are kind of my main focuses right now. Also, organizing against ICE and of borders that we have here um, and kind of the center focuses of my activism right now yeah um what are you thinking like going forward any um like anything in particular you want to do or like are looking forward to doing um continuing to develop like forms of collective and expressive resistance through performance through organizing through letter writing through communication through like 
communicating um, across like all of our distances, like geographically, um, to continue to like strengthen and build um, resistance together and protect those that are incarcerated and abolish the prisons that they are in. Yeah. No, that was really thorough. Thank you. (laughs) FTP (laughs) ACAB. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you.